Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Emma Powell, news editor. How are you doing, Emma? Very good, thank you. Excellent. Busy week for you on the Aviva story. Yeah, very busy, very uh, controversial. Okay, so we'll come to that very shortly. Uh, and Megan Boxall, how are you doing, Megan? I'm very good, thanks, John. Excellent. You're technically my boss in this situation here. Podcast <laughs> editor. Wow. That's uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. I'm glad you said it, though. And you are going to talk to us this week about Facebook. Yeah, which is the even big, more controversial. Well, it's extraordinarily controversial. Yeah. We've had a busy week on the results front, lots of results, which are actually lots of the um, companies that Simon Thompson also covers. So Simon's not going to come on the podcast today because you've covered some of the companies that he's updated on. Manx Telecom, in your case, Megan, and Bertha Capital is the other biggie. Let's start with the news. What are the big stories of the week? The main stories are profit warnings are plenty. Yes, yeah, Microfocus, which mm. you didn't write this week, Megan, but it is one of your one of your tech companies. That's that's the lead story, and Microfocus. We have it has been a tip of ours for a while. It was until about two months ago. Harriet made the decision to take it off a buy tip, which was sensible. Um, yes, she made a decision based on the fact that this acquisition that they've made um, of Hewlett Packard. Packard's uh, software business just wasn't all it seemed to be, and that they've, she was proven proven right with the profit warning this week. Mm, shame we didn't switch it to a sell entirely. I know, but, uh, it's a shame. But it's kind of we kind of allude, we kind of saying mm. this is kind of this kind of run its course, and um, it had done really well. Microfocus ha- had been an incredibly strongly performing company over the last five six years heavily heavily driven by acquisition it's made 10 acquisitions in the last six years but this most recent one just seems to be one too many it bought the software division of hewlett-packard yeah and you know i mean they say that uh, heading into the u.s is the graveyard of uh, of british companies but actually microfocus has bought lots of companies that that make it a very international business what's gone wrong here exactly and, and interestingly hewlett-packard's software business that it's bought is actually a uk company it was bought out of the uk in 2011 and that deal went to pot for hp as well they had the old autonomy business, yeah they bought right. it for 12 yeah, yeah, billion dollars yeah. And they just had real trouble integrating it. They said there was a culture clash. There were all sorts of uh, yeah, allegations flying around about yeah, this yeah. particular acquisition. So when HP bought it originally, it had problems. And now bringing it back to the UK seems to have caused a load of, caused a load of problems as well. And a lot of those seem to be based on the culture as well and staff leaving and not being able to deal with the volume of sales properly. We've had some management changes at Microfocus as a whole as well as as a result of this? or Yeah. When they bought the business, they put the head of HP Software Business as the CEO of the whole of Microfocus. He has now decided that he needs to spend more time with his family. So he... I've heard this before from Microfocus. I do remember this coming out of a, of a, of a warning, a management change before in Microfocus. Yeah. Business. Clearly, that's just what they say. But he he's left, and the old CEO of Microfocus, who had been moved across to the COO role, is now back in the in the top job. So maybe that's a good sign. Maybe he can steady the ship. And we've kept it on a hold. So Harriet and I, I do agree with her. This it seems to be that everything has gone incredibly wrong very very quickly. But hopefully, it won't get any worse. There were actually some signs, though, weren't there? I remember, um, was it about a year ago, before the deal had actually completed, that uh, they put out several updates saying they didn't think the value of the Hewlett-Packard software was actually worth as much or, or as good as they thought it was. And then they kind of reversed and said, oh, it actually is. And they said, no, it wasn't. So maybe this is, there was some signs that... 
Well, that, that goes back to, to when Hewlett Packard bought autonomy, mm. that the, they pay too much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, it's just one of those, is it the curse of autonomy? Yeah, well, it seems like it's a very <laughs> difficult business to run. Yeah, this time last year, HP said that its software revenues had fallen by 10%. And still the deal went ahead and it's it's clear that that business still isn't performing well. But we have kind of been here before, so, so we benefit the doubt at the moment then. At the moment, yeah. Okay. I know it's on the same page we have Delarue. It's mm. all over the papers today. Yeah, the well, passport it's... fiasco. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's another interesting update actually Tuesday I think um, they they came out and again it was a management change uh, they said their their financial chief financial officer was leaving and then buried in the third paragraph was essentially a profit warning um, so the shares dropped I think about fourteen percent and then obviously the news today that they've they've lost the contract for the new blue uk passports so you'd suspect they're going to update uh, with a pre-close in the third week of april but you'd suspect that's not going to be a very good update no Delarue has always been a funny company they've 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 been through the wars a few times over the the recent recent history uh it's an odd it's an odd argument that that seems to be brewing now that uh it just seems to be a bit it's been very jingoistic hasn't it yeah and the ceo has been saying that it's terrible because we should be keeping all our UK business UK. But then that's a global company and he wants to argue that they're a global company. And, and also they print passports and... and for other countries. For other countries. countries. Yeah. So it's, it's got, you can't have your cake it, and eat it. Exactly. But his argument was that... So the blue passports are going to be made in France now, but France doesn't outsource its own passport. So he isn't, wouldn't be allowed to bid for the French passport thing, but he does like other passports. But as far as I understand it, France has never put its passport production out to uh t- to, to an outsource tender yeah so the government is still in control of that it can do what it likes yeah it's government spending it's, it seems to be yeah a bit but of i a, mean yeah de, de la rue does does prints banknotes and produces passports for i mean countries 40, 40 countries, countries all over the world mm. yeah, yeah. yeah extraordinary anyway here we are the, these are the crazy times we live in <laughs> and the crazy arguments that we seem to be having every day in this uh post-brexit pre-brexit Brexit world, but there you, there you go. Profit warnings. Talks about Delarue. We talked about Microfocus. Emma, you said it's been a week of profit warnings. We, who else have we had warnings from this week? Well, we've also had um, well some in the retail sector. We've also had uh, PZ Cousins. Uh, it was another story we ran online this week. That one you could kind of see that one coming. What's their problem? Nigeria. Um, still, it's it? it's Nigeria, yeah, and it's also uh, weak consumer sentiment in the UK. The Nigeria problem, though. But you say that, but we've had some retail stats out today. The supermarkets are doing really well. Um, they're, they're, they're really, they're really kind of driving driving the UK retail market. It's kind of the sort of weird. And and Harriet alludes to this in her sex focus this week. Harriet Russell. The, the, it's companies like Debenhams whose model is just simply not fit for purpose anymore. Mm. Maybe PZ Customs, maybe there is, you know, with consumer belt tightening going on, people are trading down. Yeah, and they talk a lot about people using branded products less. But then Unilever and Colgate have both done really well in Europe. And they've they've sidestepped the problems that PZ Cousins just doesn't seem to have been able to do. Maybe it's got its pricing wrong. Well, I, I don't know, but I use Imperial Leather but only if it's on offer in Tesco. So <laughs> I must admit, maybe I, that's what the problem is. I must admit, here I'm about to reveal my personal hygiene uh, <laughs> uh, behaviours to the world. I do buy Pizza Cousins products. Yeah, original sauce uh, is great original, as well. Original yeah. sauce, shower gel. Uh, but I only buy it when it's on offer. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they're saying the problem is. <laughs> it is quite good. It is. But when it's £2.50, I'm not buying that. No. Because I know it's going to be a pound. 
in you know at some point in some supermarkets yeah so so yeah uh other retailers that have had problems this week uh moss bros moss bros oh dear wow people getting married less well, I don't think so. No, but they, um, they, they again actually were, a, they were a former buy tip, but we did take them off. Uh, they had, a, they had another warning in December, I think it was, or November. So luckily we took, we took those off. Um, well, conviviality we had last week. I don't know. I, I wasn't here last week for the podcast, but. Again, a consumer-facing yeah. company having having real problems. Yeah, there have been, in fact, so many problems that we're going to do a separate podcast tomorrow on why there are so many profit warnings on the high street. Okay, boss. I'll look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, shall we? So we talk about profit warnings. The other big trend at the moment, um, before we come on to Facebook, is M and A. M and A. It seems to be going mad. So this week we had Fenner. Mm-hmm. Was a was a new uh, deal that has been announced. Uh, so many deals that haven't actually made it to that kind of official stage that they appear on our table. That you wrote a little little column on this in the uh, on the takeover page. Yeah. So we had Hammerson, um, which was approached by a French company, which is in the middle of its own M and A activity. They're trying to merge with Into, with into yeah. Um, and which again is a retail story. It's it's a retail. They're yeah. both big retail landlords who are trying to somehow use scale to, to offset the, the pressures in that market. Yeah, and this is what people have been saying about the um, the Hammerson takeover offer from the French company. They're saying, why why does this French company even want Hammerson? Because it's just really struggled with the with changes in trends on the on the high street, which is why they want to merge, like you say, with Into. Mm. Hammerson, it used to have uh, an office property in France. I don't know if it... Uh, portfolio in France. I don't know if it has that still, but... Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. Worth a look. Yeah. Um, yeah, who else? Who else and has been? Uh, next was the next, other one. Yeah, from um, CME, which is a big futures exchange in the US, the largest. You kind yeah, of you've seen this one coming for a while. Well, yeah, Next had that kind of warning on their margins and things like that at the end of last year, and yeah, you could you could definitely see that one potential takeover of that one the shares were up about 30 percent on the day we haven't heard there was no it was just that they'd had the had the approach there was no official terms or anything um actually interestingly enough there have been rumors today that uh, oliver hemsley who people might remember as the founder and former ceo of numis um is uh thinking about buying next exchange which which is owned by next it's um as it says on the tin, really, an exchange um, where uh, some people have kind of listed, including Arsenal. Oh, okay. on this it. is a very small company's exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is thinking about maybe buying that. Yeah, because that, that used to be called Offex, if I remember years ago. It's been through a number of. Uh, well, yeah, I think it was rebranded, obviously, with Michael Spencer, yeah. Um, but yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah, it's a funny little market that we don't we don't really cover the shares on that very much because they don't tend to be very liquid. Mm. No, they're they're very liquid. Uh, there was another company, a mining company. It's got a market cap of about four hundred million. Uh, Adnams on there. Adnams, Adnams yeah. is on there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yes, they're very liquid. Oh, my my dad and I we we love Adnams. From our South, Southwold holiday, we've been to the brewery. We made some gin. There. Ooh, so, how exciting! It was. It's great, but. I mean, it is illiquid. It's so illiquid that you actually have to you have to go on a waiting list if you want to buy the shares. Really, as far as I understand it. Wow, is that what you asked in the gift shop after the after the gin mixing? Yeah, I'll, I'll can have, I buy uh, some shares? I'll have, I'll have a crate of Adnams Dry Hop Lager and some shares. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so and, and Algie's uh, sock screen this week. It's his momentum update, and again, takeovers and takeover activity seems to be driving a lot of yeah, uh, a lot of the so picks that have come out of there in terms mm-hmm. of momentum. Uh, GKN, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Sky. Mm-hmm. Is that, that's taken a new twist. I, can, I can't keep up with the Sky. I story know now. the Sky story moves so quickly, but yeah, that's another 
acquisition which is or takeover offer which is up in the air and awaiting a formal offer from Comcast. Um, is that not a formal offer yet? It's not a formal offer. Right, but right. there is obviously the formal offer which has been been in the mix for a year and a half from 21st Century Fox, which is being bought separately by Disney. It's all very complicated. Funnily enough, I was reading Private Eye this week for the first time in ages and, and the Sky Comcast thing is, is mentioned in there. They describe Comcast as, as TM, the worst company in the world. <laughs> Wow. I don't know why. But, <laughs> That's uh, harsh. It's quite harsh. But yeah. Private Eye, they must know what they're doing because they... Uh... They own um, Universal. Compost. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, anyway, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Mm. All very strange. Uh, shall we talk about Facebook? Yeah. While we're in, we're in the kind of weird landscape of, of the modern media world. <laughs> um, this is an amazing story. It is. And I, I don't... Imagine that many IC readers have Facebook shares directly, although we have written about them quite a lot. It's mm. quite an important company. It's very large. But there are repercussions that we should worry about as investors generally here. Yeah, absolutely. And mainly, we could see it this week with it wasn't just Facebook that fell. This is a problem which is very exclusive to Facebook. They have made a mistake and they've put their hands up and said, we've made a mistake. The data that was stolen, whatever it's whatever happened to the data from from Facebook users which ended up in the hands of a company called Cambridge Analytica which then apparently may have used it or may not have used it um, to during the Trump campaign. That problem is Facebook's problem but we saw the shares fall from on Twitter, um, Google's owner Alphabet, Apple was down a bit. All of the big US tech companies are worried that this Facebook, these allegations around Facebook may lead to more regulation. We, we, we have talked about that that. In the magazine and on this podcast that one of the big... And in fact, we wrote a big cover feature on it about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, the, uh, the Harriet Clarfell's regulation yeah, feature. Yeah. And, and, and tech was mentioned. And we... You know, so, so we so we anticipate regulation coming. This accelerates the process, presumably. Yeah, and a lot of the arguments are saying that the US has been behind Europe in terms of regulating their big companies. They're the ones that benefit from these companies being massive. So they've been slower to regulate. But the fact that now this is affecting consumers not just investors and not just politicians this this is literally people's personal data has been mined then it seems like now then really needs to be tighter regulation around a company which has been proven now to be so dominant but i mean you know so we 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 understand the value of personal data it's we're in the business of looking at the stock market and we understand that companies are built around this stuff yougov is a great example of a company that is basically using personal data to create a business yeah. around. So we understand the value of data. Is it a surprise that, that this data is being misused or used in I the way that the it is? the problem is, and the comparison with YouGov is, YouGov don't pretend that they don't use data. Facebook is a, a social platform. It's to help people socialise. The fact that it's, this is being used behind its back and it's not doing enough to prevent people's data being stolen. When you sign up to a... A review or a, a um, questionnaire with YouGov, you know you're giving away your data. When you sign up to Facebook, you don't necessarily think that your your personal data is going to be used by another company that you'd probably never even heard of before. Um, I hadn't heard of Cambridge Analytica, before and, and especially not to 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 potentially rig an electoral process. Yeah, exactly. And it is it's it's scary that that the value. I don't think the value of data is is well enough understood and what the problem that people are saying now is that how can you regulate 
companies like this because a lot of the regulation in the UK is based on consumer pricing but how can you regulate companies which are free it needs to be based not on how much consumers pay for it but how much of their data they're giving away I had an interesting way of expressing this you know if if the product is free to you as a user then you are the product Mm. and you know I think it's a very interesting way of looking at it what are they getting off you basically exactly I don't have a Facebook account Mm. I used to I don't really use it anymore. I I do have one, but I don't use it as much as I did. And it's not like I moved to other social media accounts. I just you know you don't got a Snapchat. No, I don't. I think that's for the for the even younger than us actually. Snapchat. (laughs) I I heard that a lot of traffic was shifting. Um, I mean, you know, it does beg a question: is 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 this existential for Facebook? It's hard to tell, but they've it's they've not dealt with it well either. Well, Zuckerberg put a statement out there. Yeah, like three days later, and. Apparently, the he's previously been very good at sort of being upfront with problems and getting all his staff together and talking about the issues. But they had a staff meeting after all the news first start, first started breaking over the weekend, and he wasn't there. And it's taken him nearly a week to come out with a statement, and that's not good enough when your company is that big and in seemingly that much trouble. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering which which tree which branch of the tree I should go on next in my in terms of my questioning. I mean, it sort of begs it, why should we care about Facebook, you know, if it appear, disappears or doesn't disappear? I think the answer is something that you and James Norrington are exploring right now, is that it's actually a very, very important component of, of, of the very largest global index. Yeah, there. exactly. And this is what, like you say, this is what we're looking at. James is doing a lot of data analysis. Um, but the FANG companies, Facebook being being the F of the FANG, Amazon, um, Netflix. Netflix and Google Google's owner alphabet being the other ones and obviously Apple Microsoft is in there as well they the weighting of the US stock markets is so so much towards those companies so if they were to tumble that that could have a much wider effect on the whole of the US market and then obviously looking at the size of the US market the whole of the global equities market as well and it's something worth looking at because these companies have gone from strength to strength for so many years, and it, it's it's starting to look like they're they're reaching their peak. Let, well, let's let's assume that this is a Facebook specific problem and a Cambridge Analytica specific problem in relation to its relationship with Facebook. Does this have any impact on? Yeah, directly. Are other big tech companies being equally casual with user data? Yeah, but it's a good question. I don't I don't think we know, but there are so many. You'd be, platforms it would just now. be surprising that if they yeah. weren't. Yeah, exactly. Well, if Facebook doesn't need to be careful with people's data, then why does anyone need to be careful with people's data? Facebook has got 3 billion users. And if they're not looking after all our names and our addresses and our bank details, then, then who is? I mean, tw- Twitter is the obvious comparison. Because, mm. I mean, Twitter is uh, a very public forum. You know, lots of debate going on there. Lots of suggestions that Facebook is being misused by agents of other countries to, to try and influence politics elsewhere mm-hmm. you know surely surely it's not immune no i know and twitter was down about 11 percent earlier in the week um snapchat has had a terrible run on stock markets anyway but it's also not been doing well because people are concerned now that how they've managed to do so well is based on people's data but then if that data now starts being regulated they're not necessarily going to be 
doing so well. Yeah, and I, I, I read today, I think it was today, it's been announced that, that in Europe a tax is going to be levied on the tech companies as well, a revenue tax. Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and Europe is doing more than, than the US is. And Google was fined last year. We've got the general data protection laws coming in in May. Um, so, so that's the other thing about this. If this has happened to Facebook in May, they'd have had to have paid 4% of their revenue um, as a fine for a breach of privacy. And not not just that it was a breach of privacy, that they didn't report it at the time. This happened three years ago. They should have reported it. It shouldn't just be coming out now just because a whistleblower has told the observer what happened. Oh, I'm starting to get all conspiracy theory now. <laughs> have they reported it now because GPDR is coming in? Maybe. And so they can Maybe. avoid being charged 4% <laughs> yeah. of their revenues. Yeah, essentially. Oh, dear. Anyway, what are we thinking about, Ted? I don't... I'm I'm very wary of Facebook. I, I'd be tempted to sell shares on Facebook if I had shares on Facebook. I, I, I don't think there's a long-term future for it. And I think people hate it and it's found us so much right now that I don't think people are going to be helping it out in any way. Um, but it has it has other applications that... Yeah, it does. So Instagram, Instagram and WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Yeah, but they don't make any money. They've never had to make money because Facebook makes enough money from its own platform. Um, and that's another argument. Should, should Facebook be like... And all the big tech companies be allowed to have other little schemes in their, in their massive empires that don't even need to make money. It's... Mm. It's an argument which I think is is gonna. We're just going to be talking about it for such a long time. They're not going to be changing the laws this month, next month, this year. But but it might happen quite quickly. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, in terms of the you know the process of lawmaking, the the, the scale of this problem and, and you know the the, the public uh, disgust at what's happened mm-hmm. could mean that the lawmaking happens more quickly than you would otherwise expect. Definitely. Who knows? Mm. Avoid tech. Oh yeah, I, I think it's it might be time. Okay. Um, And talking of uh, scandalous behaviour, the Aviva thing, what has happened here, Emma? This is something that's affected a lot of our readers. It's something else that's being investigated by various authorities. Talk us through what's happened. Basically, this is Aviva. They put out their results, their full year results uh, last week. All very good. If you're an ordinary shareholder, very good. But what they kind of put in there, um, just one paragraph that said they may consider cancelling at par uh, four classes of their irredeemable preference shares. What page was this uh, This paragraph on? I can't quite remember. Not the first page, presumably. No, 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 I mean, no. Buried somewhere. Obviously, the value of all these preference shares just plummeted. I think it was about 30%, some of them, in one day. Because they'd always traded at a premium, you see, because because they were called irredeemable preference shares. And the coupon they were paying was 8.75% on the the par value. 8.75%, yeah. Which is very attractive. Very attractive. Hence why a lot of people... A lot of pensioners, you know, that these were issued in 1992, 1993. Yeah, so, that, so, they, so you look back and it's general accident, a commercial union. So, so this has been going on. These, these things have existed for a long time. And yeah, have bought them 25 years, years, 25 years. So, uh, you know, a lot of people might be very old that own them now. Um, and yeah, they're, you know, they're high paying uh, dividend, you know, really good for income. You think low risk, um, certainly lower risk than ordinary shares. So obviously Aviva come out um very shocking to a lot of readers. I mean, you've read the emails too. We've had a lot of a lot of reader response from this. Actually, more than I can remember of any story I've ever written about. Um, the, the only one that got more attention recently has been the, was the Barclays um, exactly. Smart Investor platform thing, which a lot of people are very upset about. But yeah, this has got a lot of. They were upset, but I'd I'd, I'd argue that the knock on for 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 people uh, shareholders of the preference shares 
of those four classes is is huge. I mean, uh, it was one guy I was reading on Mark Tabor's website. So obviously he has a blog. He's actually put together an action group, so campaign group for this. So let's just explain who Mark Tabor is. Mark Tabor is a, uh, a guy that looks uh, in a great detail at the fixed income market uh, and has often been an advocate for, for how private investors yeah. uh, are treated in that market. Yeah. He was actually um, one of the first people to pull out this announcement and tweet it. Um, and that obviously got loads of retweets because a lot of people you see hadn't actually really spotted th- this announcement that was snuck in there because it was, it was you know it was guised in uh, we we've got to deploy about two billion of capital this year we're going to return five hundred million to shareholders and we're also going to pay down about nine hundred million in hybrid debt this is one of the ways and it, and it is actually very important to just make the point that this is a proposal that this is this is something they said we might do this is just an option for us they're not definitely going to do it but but in saying that they've created havoc in the market for preference shares so so we saw falls across the board there's about a billion pounds wiped off the market so people like santander lloyds ecclesiastical yeah, was another yeah. One. and they actually came out and said we're not doing this yeah so the great concern was that other companies that had issued these types of prefs would do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the point is, um, I think I wrote that, that even if they don't cancel it um, at part, the point is the damage has already been done in a way because because everybody and the market clearly because they had traded they had traded at a premium so long, everybody was under the you know the understanding that they couldn't be cancelled at par, you know, because they were called irredeemable. They couldn't be cancelled at par. But this is where there is some confusion. So, and we have looked into this in great detail because Aviva tells us they can, and we've looked into this and it's, it's not explicitly clear in the prospectuses, but under company law, they seem to have pretty firm ground there. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of the big things actually that came out of looking into this. The actual regulation around irredeemable, irredeemable preference shares is really opaque there's there's actually the only way as a as an investor now in preference shares you can really understand the terms are you look at the prospectus but actually maybe that's not enough even because you could do what aviva have done and refer to a point in the companies act 2006 companies act which is what aviva has pointed to and said we can put it to a shareholder vote and get 75 percent. and that shareholder vote would be not ordinary. just the press holders ordinary exactly act. so they, they could easily sway the ordinary ordinary shareholders this is actually quite good for and also by referring to a company's articles of association. So you've got to, as a retail investor, refer to all three of those and think, oh, could they do it? I mean, it's, it's massively confusing. Indeed. And uh, so late on Tuesday, uh, I think the Treasury Select Committee, uh, led by Nicky Morgan, issued a letter. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think they were calling for, for blood, but they were calling for clarification particularly around how these were sold in the first place uh, and what the FCA is planning to do. So, I mean, have we had any response from that yet? Well, no. I mean, because the, the FCA actually, I mean, I remember speaking to them um, maybe the day after the results were released or maybe it was a bit, it was a few days after. And they just said that they, they were aware of it. They were looking into it, but they're still unsure basically about which way this is going to go it's it's caused so much uproar not only amongst retail investors but also institutions who own who own the same thing but then aviva owns quite a big chunk of these things as well doesn't it exactly um Um, but you know like like i said the fact that it has wiped off so much a billion pounds of the wider uk preference share market 
institutions have a vested interest in, in taking notice of this. It is fascinating. As far as I understand the FCA's position, that, you know, the, the, what they really need to, to clarify is whether this can, is regulatory capital that could be. And, and I, I think there is precedent that suggests that that, that can happen. It, it is in the selling, I think, now and the communication. But even that, is something that's kind of it feels like you know stable door and and, and the bolting horse type situation. I think yeah, I think this is I think if you're an Aviva, uh, if you're a holder of these of these one of these classes of preference shares, it's almost too late. Even if they don't cancel them. So what can people do? Well, I, I think the best bet, and again, it's, it's a, a probably little comfort if you, if you are a, if you are an investor is joining this this campaign with Mark Tabor. Um, he's been involved previously um, in, well, not a similar case, but with some with some Lloyds bonds um, and things like that. Which is uh, uk. Yeah, and he's just gathering a big list. Um, I know, I spoke to him, he said he's, he's already met with the FCA um, and been in dialogue with them. That's probably the best thing to do, I'd imagine. Certainly, we wouldn't advocate selling these things in the open market because, because it may be that Aviva decides not to cancel them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this has been a bit of a PR disaster for them, really. I mean, it's been very, very bad <laughs> PR. I, mean, I wish, I, th- I think they probably wish they'd never floated the idea now. Or at least if they had, if they wanted to, to communicate in such a way that I think it, apparently people have bought these things back before when they were redeemable, but they've done it at the market price. That, yeah, that's sorry, that's the big thing. It's whether you do it at par or the, at the market price, because one of the big gripes to people is that you, you caused a disorderly market in preference mm. shares because you just put this out blindsided a lot of people really and if, if they were very, but the thing is the market price was very high because an 8.75% 8, 8. Yeah. coupon in today's interest rate environment is very high when they were issued I think I think we looked at this when, when they were issued for the first time in the late 1992 1992 the early 90s interest rates were 6.5% 7% mm. so you know the interest rate environment has changed my view is partly that if you do hold these sort of things there, there is an element of caveat emptor here, except that to be careful as a buyer is very complicated. Maybe there is some regulation required, which I, which I assume is what the FCA is, is now looking at. Well, well, they are. Actually, um, Mark Table was telling me that in Australia, they actually had a similar issue. So they, they brought in a new rule that was if you were going to do something like this, you actually had to have a separate vote for that class of shareholders. With, with only the shareholders yes. of those particular... Yeah. Which I thought actually was the case if you look at the prospectuses but in in the prospectuses um it says it's down to semantics and wording to be honest this is what it's so see financial decisions should not be based upon semantic interpretation it says it says those shareholders well it says those shareholders will get a vote it doesn't say just those shareholders will get a vote oh dear that really is semantics this is what i mean this is what was i think what so many investors um and and journalists have, have why it's been so confusing for people to actually find out what's gone on is because of the kind of technicalities of the wording. It's all down to the wording, basically. Right. So, so anyway, let's sum up. Get in touch with Mark Tabor. Get get involved in that campaign. Don't sell anything right now because you're taking no. the worst price you possibly could, and you might get a better price in future if Aviva changes their mind. Uh, and be careful when when buying things. Um, that seem safe. Don't think irredeemable necessarily. Don't take that for granted, basically. <laughs> yeah, when irredeemable doesn't mean irredeemable. Should we quickly round up by discussing a couple of results? We were going to get Simon Thompson on, as I, as I said, but you guys uh, actually wrote many of the updates in terms of the results section that Simon's covered. Uh, Megan, let's start with you, Manx. It's quite it, boring, really. <laughs> I, I was about to say, it's an interesting example. <laughs> it's been good for Simon. But, uh, but Manx is kind of... It, 
having read the result, it feels like your interpretation is it's running out of steam a little well, bit. I don't understand how a company which has... It, it's a near monopoly. It literally runs most of the communications market on the Isle of Man. It, there aren't many examples of aim-traded companies which have that much of a no- monopoly. Why is it not making more money? I, I have no because idea. There's no, because there's no growth. But there is. This is what the argument is. There is so much growth in the communications market because there is so much better communications. And the, on the Isle of Man? Yeah, they're, they're providing excellent communications. They're just not monetizing it very well. I don't know. They're not, they're not doing it quite right. But they're doing fine. They make a lot of cash, which is why they pay such a high dividend. And um, that's, that's what really excites us at yeah, the moment. Yeah. yeah, we've still got them on an in- income bite it because... Yeah, the dividend yield is 6.2% at the moment and they have got the cash to support it because, well, they're a utility company. They're an uncontested utility company. They they can turn almost everything they make into cash. But yeah, it's just growing. It, it is difficult. They had a few difficulties with the change in the data roaming laws, which meant they needed to put out a few new products, some new SIM cards. Um, they are investing in full fibre, which is what we're doing in the, in the mainland UK as well, what BT and Vodafone and City Fibre are all doing. Obviously, they're all in competition with each other. Manx Telecom's got no competition. It can do what it wants. It can take its time, which is what it's doing. It's being sensible with its spending. It seems like a nice bit of safe yield for the time exactly. being. Uh, but we will keep a close eye, yeah. uh, especially yeah, on where the, where the next... Where the, how, where, how they maintain the cash generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. talking of cash generation, the, the, the other company Simon uh, updated on this week is Perfect Capital. They don't seem to have any trouble turning anything into cash. It's just extraordinary, the growth story here. Yeah, there's such... You, you could argue, actually, they have a bit of an advantage by the fact that they're kind of... I guess Juridica might have been similar, but they're kind of making their own market. Um, there's not too many people. They, they've people who don't know finance litigation, basically. So obviously the US is very litigious. Um, so that's basically where they are. That stock, it's. I mean, it has been a wonder stock. It's been. It's crazy. I think we tipped it in October 2016 again, and it's up about 286 percent. I think off the top of my head, close to 300 percent since then. And it and it had gone up further. You know, if you held it the year before that, it's, it's even more. It's crazy. What they seem to just be really good at doing is backing the right cases, frankly. Is, is that good luck or good judgment? I mean, it's got to because, be some because good Because Juridica judgment. Was in, had the same model and it seemed to not yeah. be quite as good at backing the right horses. That's the thing. Um, nobody knows which way a case is going to go. They do, they do try and diversify as much as possible. So they don't rely too much on any one case, any one law firm. They also, they kind of finance portfolios of cases, then they'll do some direct financing of one case and things like that. But um, all you can put it down to, to be honest, A, I guess there's a there's massive demand for uh, litigation, which is obviously very pricey, uh, you know, for finance for that. And B, that they do just back the right horses. And also, they're, they're now very big. It's huge now. I'm just looking at the market cap there. Three bit. It's three billion. Well, yeah, because I mean, they've yeah, they've just. It's been phenomenal. I think it's the highest growing company that I cover. It's 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 massive. Mm, well, buy tip still. We're still on a buy. Still yeah, on a buy. Yeah, yeah, extraordinary. In fact, we uh, Harriet Clarfield in a sector focus recently looked at the law market. There's increasingly uh, listed law companies in the UK, and uh, yeah, it's it's a good market mm, that's yeah, changing and creating opportunities for for equity shareholders. Lots more results this week. I'll leave readers to to enjoy those at their leisure. But yeah, we've had we've had some interesting updates. Bellway, 
I thought it was particularly interesting in the uh, in the housing market because they've had they had really great results uh, this week, and it's been a bit of a tricky time for the house builders lately. Anything else you noticed, Megan? IQE. IQE. This has been a. I mean, this has been a wonder stock as well. They had a, a short selling attack. It did. Are they getting through it? I I, I sense a degree of scepticism in your I, in your write up. There's still a few things going on there which I'm not convinced about. People love it. Our readers definitely love it, and it has proven before that it can grow very quickly. But at the moment, it's very reliant on one contract, Bit too which concentrated. may or may not be Apple. Okay, Emma, Emma, was there anything you noticed that you'd uh, that was particularly interesting, apart from Burford? Phoenix, that's another really good income stock, actually. They're buying, obviously, standard uh, Life Aberdeen's insurance business, which is going to make it even more massive. That's got about a 6.4% yield, actually, which is pretty good. Yeah, great. A funny week on the markets. It's been it's uh, up and down. Facebook has obviously dominated everything, but some decent results in there, and also some some shockers, but mainly from areas that we would have expected them to come from anyway. Okay, thank you very much. In the cover feature this week, Todd Wenning, uh, our US contributor, uh, has written a, a new update on his supersized approach to buying shares. A few ideas there of companies that he has what uh, Todd describes as an economic moat, so something that protects them uh, from competition. We've had lots of emails recently when we've written about tax and various other things, uh, usually from Scottish readers who tell us that uh, what we've written does not apply to Scotland. And that's very true. It's, it's moving in a slightly different, at a slightly different beat to the rest of the UK in terms of tax. So we've, 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 we've clarified that with the, with the feature there on, on, on the main differences. Um, lots of the personal finance and fund section that they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow. As I said, the usual feature stock screens and sex focuses and, and hundreds of results and, and lots of interesting news and all the usual commentary we can start relaxing now and thinking about features instead you've got a banking feature coming up haven't you Emma we've got a corker of banking feature coming up so. excellent you working on anything maybe I am James and I are working on our oh your fang fantastic yeah. uh, fang feature it's the piece that James is going to be remembered for apparently so he said they're going to make a film of it aren't they yeah and he's going to get Christian Bale playing him a younger, better-looking version of Christian Bale, I think, were his exact words. But. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you, Megan, and thank you, Emma, and thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Speak soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.